Hello and welcome to the Raptors show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, William Liu. Uh, this is the week of the 2023 NBA draft and the Raptors are picking 13th, potentially picking elsewhere as well, depending on what they do uh, you know, with the roster, if they trade uh, into the draft uh, more than they already are. And uh, yeah, joining me to discuss the draft is ESPN's very own Jeremy Wu. Um, Jeremy, how you doing? What's up, man? I'm good. Um, this week is always kind of crazy. Uh, so much going on. Uh, always hard to like manage everything, I think. But uh, it's always also really fun. Uh, so I'm just uh, curious to see what's going to happen on, on Thursday. Absolutely. Listen, I, I feel like there's more rumors leading up to the draft than they are even at the trade deadline, it feels like. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think like some of it just comes from everybody's calling everybody all the time. And mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's trying to figure everything out. And I think, uh, you know, whether it's teams or uh, agents, like, you know, everyone is trying to figure out where they stand. Um, you know, it's like, it, it's a little bit different of a market in the trade deadline where you kind of like, you kind of have a sense of what people are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here there's a third outcome where it's not necessarily a trade, but it's, you know, teams have guys who they like and they have different plans. Uh, and sometimes it's, you know, one step and a bunch of moves. Uh, and it's, it's hard to, you know, guess at what that's going to be. So I think that adds to the intrigue. And obviously with, you know, how much social media we have, how much like real time uh, coverage there is, I think it's, it's definitely like made the draft uh, even more of a thing, I guess, in the last, even just like since I've been doing this for the last, I don't know, like six or seven years. So. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to, before we get into the Raptors at 13 and the options there, I actually wanted to get into just a little bit, like um, how you got started in all of this and sort of like your, your progress. So like, how does, I will. I would ask, like, when did you start this, and how does somebody get into doing what you do, which is, you know, covering all these prospects and covering the draft? Yeah. Um, so it's obviously, as any good story is, it's a long story. But the, yeah. the, uh, I guess, the short version of it. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I, I grew up in Chicago, so I, I went to Northwestern, and so I was studying journalism, and like mm-hmm. a lot of the assignments they gave us, like freshman year of college or like, Hey, go talk to somebody and like find a story to write about. And so uh, I think a lot of people stayed local and, you know, just interviewed whoever was like on the street or like local business owners or whatever. But like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I, I went to a lot of basketball games, uh, high school basketball games in Chicago and started okay. uh, covering guys like that. So that was the era where we had, you know, Jabari Parker, Julia Okafor, Cliff Alexander, Jalen Brunson. It was like a really good run of like four years of guys who either played in the NBA or got close. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are, you know, highly rated high school players. So there's a lot of national interest. So I kind of used that uh, sort of a way to like start covering grassroots basketball and learning about how things work. Uh, so then by the time I got to SI, where I started my career, I was an intern. Uh, they kind of figured out that I knew a lot already about the draft and players. So they kind of, one of the things they let me do like right away was sort of that type of coverage. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I was really that good at it at first, but it took time and, uh, by the time I became like a staff writer there, it took a few years for that to happen too, uh, where right. I really had time to travel and go to games and scout and like l- meet people around the NBA and sort of do it that way. Uh, it was just sort of a gradual progression where like, I felt like I was learning a lot. I was able to be on the road a bit, uh, increasingly so I think, uh, and it's the type of thing where like, you really just have to show up a lot and be able to, right. uh, you know, convince people to, you know, let you pick their brains. And I've just been really lucky too. I've had a lot of people around the NBA uh, who I consider, you know, mentors and friends who have sort of helped me learn how to, how this works over time. And 
um, just it was just sort of a steady progression uh, into into doing really full time draft coverage in addition to oh, writing. Yeah, right. No, that's dope. Uh, I was going to say, like, what is so what is your life like now? Right. So now you've transitioned over to ESPN. Um, you know, your byline's always there with uh, Jonathan Giovanni on on the uh, mock drafts and like. You know, I assume that with the bigger outlet too, like even more people are coming up to you and stuff like that. I'm sure there's more travel to your job too. So, what what is your like year look like typically? Yeah, uh, I travel a lot during the season. Um, okay, I try to see every player live uh, at least once. Um, wow. So sometimes, you know, there, there are always these big events where you can see a lot of players at once. Those are always sure. great if you can get to that. Uh, I was lucky at SI; they let me travel a good amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, next season it'll kind of be more of the same. But uh, I try to get to a lot of games, whether it's local. I live in Chicago, so there's a lot lot from here I can drive to in terms of college games. Yeah. Um, I try to go to some high school stuff. I just I just try to have a sense of who all these guys are because I think it's a huge component of being able to determine, like, what someone's draft value is. And, of course. And having your own opinion matters, too. Uh, just, just being able to have those conversations with with scouts and with, you know, team, team people um, – because everyone, I think, enjoys the the dialogue, right? So I think being able to participate in that helps. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just really traveling a lot, and I'm watching a lot of games and uh, watching film. And um, you know, there's always different assignments that come up. But like, I would say that's kind of my year round. And then you know, May with the combine, May and June get really crazy. Uh, right. And then summer is a little bit slower, but there's grassroots basketball and all types of other stuff. So like, it can be a year round thing if you want it to be. Uh, I've burned out in the past, so I try to manage that better now, um, as you might True. imagine. But like, uh, over overall, it's pretty fun, and um, the travel I think is uh, a feature and not a bug. Right? No, for sure. You you definitely gotta love it. But I, at the same time, I mean, I think it must be really cool to. I mean, you do see a lot of people come up now as like draft analysts and things like that. But you can really tell a difference between like people who have like sort of met them and and, and scouted them versus like people who are looking at them online or even looking at them through stats and and obviously not everyone has the privilege to to just spend their whole life like traveling around and seeing everybody but at the same time there is a depth of knowledge that you get from there so that's always been really evident from your work by the way um and yeah okay let, let's let's talk about it so that that's 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 what you do and uh we'll look at the, the mock draft that you have right now so the latest one i mean this this blurb was written by uh your your, your co-worker um jonathan Giovanni, but you know, you guys wrote about the idea that uh, many around the NBA are curious to see if the Raptors will move up on draft night as there is a sense that they could be significant trade players, depending on how aggressively they want to get involved with the likes of Pascal Siakam and others. We'll get to that in a, in a second. Should they stay pat targeting a guard with considerable upside as a shot creator such as uh, Jalen? Um, Hood Shafino uh, makes sense. However, adding shooting to this roster will be a, another significant priority, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of other guys on this list. So. Uh, yeah, let, let's let's start with with, with Jalen Hutchinson. Like, um, who is he, uh, and why would he be of interest to in the Raptors at thirteen? Yeah, well, I, I think Hutchinson kind of vibes with the idea, right? That uh, a lot of the names you hear connected to Toronto have been guards. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of guards are going to be in that range. Um, that's one of I think the uh, the strengths of this year's draft is, especially like in the ten to twenty range, there are a whole bunch of guards. Uh, people have varying opinions on those guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, Huchifino, I think was uh, more impactful in Indiana than I expected based off what I saw in high school. Um, okay. He's got, you know, good, good physical traits for, uh, for a, a combo guard. He can play on the ball. He can play a little bit off the ball. He played more point guard for Indiana this year. 
Uh, someone who I think still has a lot of development left. Like he's got to be a better shooter. He has to be more consistent. I think he's still really learning to play point guard. Mm. Um, but I, I just think, you know, you look at his body type and uh, physical profile and he's going to be able to play in the NBA physically. Mm-hmm. So um, I think teams view him as more of an upside play, maybe a little bit less polished than uh, some of these other guys. Uh, but because of his size um, and sort of the framework for what he can be, I, I think there's also some untapped upside there. Okay. Uh, let, let's start with what he does well right now. So it seems to be, you know, it's again, to people like me who tap into the draft around the time of the draft, like a lot of these guys start to blur together. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, another pick and roll player um, seems to be able to shoot on pull-ups on mid-range quite a bit. Um, you know, seems to be a good distributor out of the pick and roll. But again, like that's something that you can see on like a, you know, essentially a draft express video. But from you after seeing him up close, like what are some of the traits that he already does well? And then what is that long-term upside? Like what is one or two skills that has to sort of break his way for him to be successful at the NBA level? Definitely. Well, I, I think it's uh, a big part of the appeal is, yeah, like you're hoping you could turn him into a point guard because that's where the upside tends to be mm-hmm. uh, for these bigger playmakers. Um, I was impressed. I saw him, I think, twice this season. Um, I, I was impressed with uh, – I think he's a little bit quicker than you think. He gets off the floor pretty quickly. Okay. Um, I, I think the physical aspect of it's good. Um, I I guess, like, on the, on the flip side, I'm – I'm still a little bit wary just because some of his some of his numbers are not like super impressive. Uh, the uh, box plus minus stat, which I always think is an interesting stat, sort of quantifying impact in some way. He had a slightly negative one, which is like mm. kind of a, to me sort of a yellow flag. So like I I worry a little bit about that, the positive impact factor. Um, but at the same time, like you know, not many teenage guards are great. Yeah. <laughs> like it usually takes it's a it's a hard position to learn. So like. Uh, I, th- I think with him off what I've seen, and also defensively, I guess we didn't really touch on that. Like defensively, he can be pretty good. Um, you know, he he's got good balance. He's he's big. Um, anticipation is like pretty good. Um, I think like, you know, in the past we'd say, oh, you know, sometimes the tweener label maybe it's negative, but mm-hmm. also sometimes it's like, well, it's good that you're kind of good at a lot of things. Uh, sometimes even if you don't have an elite skill if you're pretty good at a lot of stuff, it can kind of create a floor where sure. there's a few different roles you can play, even if it doesn't hit. So for him, it's just, it's really like, as long as he can catch and shoot, um, he'll have some type of place on the floor. Uh, but the real upside again is going to be if he can really develop into a lead guard and like a, a playmaker who can have the ball a lot. And I think that's sort of where the um, dissonance and the opinions on him kind of sits. Got you. Got you. Um, okay, so it seems like the Raptors may have a couple of other options. Um, e- even a player who I would say um, on the film looks a little bit similar to to Jalen, uh, this being Keontae George. Um, I got to see him in person, which was very rare uh, up in Canada. But, like, you know, I got to see him in person last summer. And he, I think he had 37 points uh, against what was essentially Team Canada, although it was kind of like a thrown-together thing. But it, it was a cool event to get to see him up close. And uh, Keontae definitely impressed me with his scoring ability, very aggressive. Um, seems like another guy who can play out of pick-and-roll. How would you compare um, Jalen to a guy like Keontae? Well, Keontae is definitely more of a scorer. More of a scorer. Uh, he, okay. he always has been. Uh, I think he'll be more polished coming into the NBA in that respect. Uh, he's not as physically gifted as Jalen. Uh, but just in terms of like skill level and scoring instincts and productivity, uh, I think Keontae would have the edge there. Uh, mm-hmm. Defensively, not quite as good. He was okay. It's not really, 
I don't think he really views himself or has ever really viewed himself as like a defensive player. Sure, uh, you're hoping sure. that he'll get better. I think there were moments this year where he was okay defensively at Baylor. Like there was some progress. Um, but with him, I, I, I think, you know, again, his upside I think is also having the ball in his hands just because right. um, defensively, if he's a smaller two guard, I think, I think one thing I say this all the time, but like one of the things I think it's really hard to be right now in the NBA uh, is to be an undersized two guard. Mm. Uh, there aren't that many of them. Like yeah. teams like to play big wings at that spot. Um, you can get, if you're a bad defender and you're, a, you know, kind of like hiding at the two, it's hard to hide there because there's always wings who can attack you right. or, or make you switch. So like, uh, I think that is an element of, of concern with Keontae as well. Um, and, and also I, I think teams are, you know, part of why there's a chance I think he could slide on draft night is just teams are a little bit um, unsure of like how long it's going to take him to really be ready. Like he's, he's a little bit, he comes off kind of young, you know, he's a little, he has some maturing left to do, I think. So okay. um, it, it may be like, and I think both these guys, both Keontae and Jalen, we're talking about them as like guys who are going to take a couple years to really like start to access that, the talent. But um, okay. that's where I draw the distinction is Keontae is really more of a scorer. And I think you're hoping Jalen can be more of like a playmaking distributor. That's interesting. So, um, you know, speaking to your experience in this matter, like how much does like the interview process and, and even the workouts and just getting to know a guy like, how much does that factor into um, teams' decision making? Obviously, you, you know they're, we're going to have thirty different opinions on this. But in general, like how much can like a good interview or a bad interview or a good workout and a bad interview like or influence what a team does, even though they have like multiple seasons or multiple years of data on it on, on most prospects? Yeah, I think that's always super relative. Um, okay. Some some teams value it more than others. Um. Some teams don't worry as much about it. I do think it always matters just because I think in any line of work, whether or not you are a professional athlete, like the interview matters to get a job, right? And so sure, if you just yeah. boil it down to that, like um, I'll put it this way, like it, it, it definitely matters if you touch the either like extreme end of the interview spectrum. If you're in an right, amazing right. interview and guys love you and you're charismatic and you like really click with a uh, front office, like, yeah, I think that, that can definitely be the edge for guys. Uh, at the same time, if you totally botch it uh, or you come off as uninterested or uh, immature or unprepared or, or just like, like th- there are definitely different ways that guys can really like hurt themselves with bad interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the, I'm, I'm really speaking to like the extremes because that's often where these things can actually like make or break somebody. As long as you're kind of, kind of prepared and kind of okay at it. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know that the interview is going to like, determine the pick but again it's also very relative to which team it is which pick it is and right you know, who you're competing against right it's all it's all super super relative yeah I, i'm bringing this up because I, I i remember back in the day when the raptors had number one pick for the first time and only time in franchise history they brought in andrea bargnani and apparently they did like a caliper test with him or something like that where they really found that um essentially he was unfazed by any sort of pressure now i don't know how many of these mind games can sort of play with the with the players because it feels almost like they're giving them a gifted test or something but um at the same time like yeah he, he definitely apparently aced the caliper test which meant that he wasn't feeling any pressure and it turns out that over the course of his career maybe he just didn't care about basketball maybe as much <laughs> and so therefore he didn't care but anyway regardless that's that's <laughs> history for the raptors um other guards options at uh, 13 so i'm looking at the um the latest mock draft so you got Bilal koulibaly um going 14 
if I had to sort of say the Raptors have a type, it would be a guy like Bilal, right? So, um, yeah, sort of detail his game and sort of if there's any potential for the Raptors to go here, because that looks like another in terms of, you know, long-term upswing, uh, upside kind of swing. Like, you know, he seems to be that kind of prospect that would really garner that type of profile. Yeah, definitely. I, I can see, you know, if you look at the history of how they've drafted, um, you can see exactly why uh, he would be that the type of project they would like. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a fair question, like, depending on what they do with the roster, uh, you know, do they want to keep collecting guys like that? Or are they going in a different direction? I don't know. But, uh, you know, physically, Bilal is, is really, really off the charts. Uh, he's someone who got a lot better over the course of the season, like in a way that I don't think people really expected at all. Um, okay. like I was over there in, in November. I was in France um, when I, I was doing the Lemanyama cover story for, for SI. Uh, and I watched, I, I, I showed up early to watch Bilal's game. He was playing with the the youth team and they were playing before the, the senior team. He was doing both uh, towards the end of the season. They had him full time with the senior team. Uh, when okay. I was there, it didn't do much. I was not super impressed, but then, you know, by the end of the season, I'm watching some of these, uh, these games online and just uh, looks like a totally different player. Um, mm. Really, really could be an impactful defender. He's very long, uh, good anticipation. He's a guy who had a sort of a later growth spurt. So he's, he's tall, but he still has some guard skills. Okay. Um, I think really still kind of scratching the surface of what he can be. Everybody wants big wings. He can catch and shoot a little bit. He can play, make a little bit like definitely someone who's going to take, probably at least a year to really get comfortable in the NBA. Just just yeah. with knowing the speed of the game is going to be a huge adjustment. Uh, but definitely someone also who has significant long-term upside, which is why you're hearing him in these conversations, like potentially sneaking into the top 10, potentially even being gone before 13. So like his range is hmm. kind of wide. Uh, but, uh, and again, I think he's more of a project than even the other two guys we talked about, but uh, yeah. maybe in a good way. You know, he doesn't really have any like bad habits either. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. No, I mean, look, that there is definitely a, a, a big sort of jump between guards who have been able to be lead playmakers like Jalen Keontae in, in college versus Bilal, who, I, I, from my understanding, like, does he does he even have the ball that much? Like, what was his role with uh, Mets ninety two? So, so by the end of the season, he was occasionally bringing the ball up. Um, they had some changes to their roster, so like. He started the season not really playing on the ball at all. By the mm. end of it, he was like pinch hitting as a point guard for stretches. Uh, okay. He's definitely someone right now, like, I don't think you can really trust him to play point in the NBA. Like, guys yeah. will get into his handle. Uh, but I, I think down the line, it's someone who you, you hope can do some of it. Uh, and I yeah. don't think it's it's outlandish to think. Again, he, he's super young. He's 18. Mm. Uh, still at a really early stage of development. So you just... Oftentimes, like, you just look at kind of the trajectory someone's on and how much better they've gotten, and it's often a positive sign, and teams take it that way. Uh, So I think you're hoping he can do some, but I wouldn't, like, label him as a point guard. He's more of a a wing playmaker. Right. No, I I feel like you'd you'd have to be a little patient with him. Uh, Absolutely. Because um, the physical profile looks really good, though. It looks really good, but I I do think that, yeah, there's, there's, there's time that needs to be put into the skill work aspect. Um, a guy like Kaysen Wallace. Um, so you had a, you guys had him at fifteen. Um, I am I wrong? I, I felt like he was a lot higher than this, mocked a lot higher than this, and it feels like this is one of the lower um, ones for this. Um, is he kind of dropping in the draft? And sort of, if so, what's the reason? Because um, you know, obviously he he had a really high profile playing in Kentucky. Well, he, he's someone. Kaysen is someone I really like as a player. Okay. Um, I, I do think like. 
I don't know, sometimes the pre-draft process and the way the board falls, uh, just, th- just things happen where guys slip a little bit. Uh, he is kind of in this bucket of guards where it's him and uh, Keontae and Huchifino and Nick Smith where, like, those guys, all four, kind of have different ranges, could kind of go anywhere in that range. Like, and I wouldn't think it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't think he's, like, been a buzzy pre-draft name. It doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player. I still like Kishin quite a bit. Like, he's very okay. tough. Uh, can play both guard positions not super flashy not gonna be like uh probably not a super like high volume offensive player but just like you could just see him fitting in on a winning team in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. um you know I, I think there's a decent chance he's on the board at 13 um but also could slip a little bit um right but i think that's just kind of a referendum on this draft like the names that you hear kind of moving up uh whether that's Koulibaly or or buffkin uh, other guys have to get pushed down, right? And so, yeah, right. you know, we, we roughly know who the first like nine or 10 names will be. And then after that, like that next group is is more fluid. So I think it's just kind of a byproduct of, you know, as we go through this process of trying to sift through the draft and, you know, teams are doing it too, trying to discern like who could slip. Uh, sometimes there are just guys who might be slipping and he, he's someone who could fall a little bit. I, I'm skeptical he'd fall too far just because of how much he brings to the table. But mm. uh, that's that's just kind of what his range is, I think. Right, so, uh, so from what the limited amount that I've seen from him seems to be better on the defensive end than the offensive end. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean he's an excellent defender. I think he always has okay. been. Um, I, I like what he does on offense. Like he moves the ball, he can play make a little bit, he can catch and shoot a little bit. I think it's going to take him some time. I, I think if you were sure he'd be like a really really good shooter, it would help him a little bit. I think he sure may end up more in like the above average, but maybe not elite catch and shoot uh type player but just guys like that who really know how to play um are always useful and i i I think uh, if he were a little bit bigger like it would be easier to throw him in like the drew holiday conversation like Mm. could he be like that type of guy um you know you've heard that name used i don't know if he's quite that level but if he's a you know uh just a 80 percent of that that's still really good right so yeah um but it just kind of depends what you need um, and again, these guards all bring something different at the table and it depends on, you know, if you're a team that's trying to compete, I think it's easier to say, oh, we can right, like right. plug and we can plug and play case and Wallace, uh, mm-hmm. versus Keontae George. Right. So that's kind of one of the factors I think that will matter too. Yeah. Like, I think it makes sense that he's at 15, right. Cause like a team like Atlanta, like you would definitely want a defensive sort of like look, uh, as a backup to a guy like Trey Young. Right. And, right. And, and they can that, play together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So. Um, now the size thing is interesting too, because I feel like that that profile player does exist in the league. I mean, I mean, obviously there's like so much offense you're expecting out of guards now, but like you do see guys like that. Like I'm sure Marcus Smart is probably a, a name that people have thrown into like you know the comparisons or whatever um, for a guy like that. And yeah, no, I, I could see it. I mean, in terms of um, okay, so Kobe Buffkin. I mean, when I first started this process in terms of looking at the Raptors at 13, the first guy I sort of keyed in on was like, okay, he looks really intriguing. Um, there was a lot of improvement over the course of his uh, last season at Michigan. And, you know, um, the more this whole process has really played out in terms of just covering it for me in the last, like, two months, it feels like he just continues to jump higher and higher. I, I'm not even sure if the Raptors have even worked him out um, because it seems like he may already have a promise even above that. So what's the latest intel with, with, with a guy like Kobe? Yeah, Um uh... He's definitely a hot name. Uh, they were very close to the vest about where they worked out. Uh, I think trying to get him into the lottery. Uh, okay. I, I don't know for sure if he went to Toronto or not, but I do think he'll be in the mix for them at that spot. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, just again, deducing like they're looking at guards. Like he's got good, good upside. Like uh, I don't see why he wouldn't be. I think he'd be a good option, frankly, at thirteen. Um, but yeah, with him, I, I think people have kind of come on, come around on him. Like he closed the season really well. Uh, he didn't have a great freshman year and just really like blossomed as the sophomore year went on at Michigan. Sure. So, uh, someone who I, again, I think the upside with him is if he can play point guard, this is sort of a common thread, right? The upside right. as well. If you can create shots and have a ball a lot, that really helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got great energy, plays hard, rebounds well, plays defense. Like, doesn't really have a ton of holes in the profile. It's just a matter of like, yeah. does he end up being someone who's kind of good at a lot of stuff or does he make that next jump uh, into becoming a really good? Uh, creative uh, on-ball player. And uh, again, he's younger than some of these other freshmen. He he was a young sophomore this year. So like that works in his favor too. Uh, room mm-hmm. to get better physically. Uh, he's fast. Like there's just a lot, a lot of things to like with him. And I think you can really, if you really wanted to argue like just upside, you could, you could argue him having, you know, top, you know, five, six, seven upside in the class. Uh, in, mm-hmm. my, in my opinion. Um, but it, it just kind of depends. I mean, you, you know, ideally, if you're taking him, you have time to let him develop into that type of guy, right? It's like hard, you know, you can plug and play him, but you want to develop him into, if you're going to take a lottery pick, you know, you want to give him a chance to have those reps early. Um, but I, I think his range probably starts with like Washington and Utah eight and nine. And then uh, I, I am skeptical at this point, he makes it out of the lottery. Um, wow. So uh, I, I think, I think uh, it's, it's pretty real, the, the rise that he's had. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm liking this idea that the Raptors have a lot of these options at guard because I feel like that's absolutely where the, the weak spot on the roster is. I think even listening to uh, general manager Bobby Webster speak on uh, the radio last week, he talked about how the Raptors roster as is like, you know, one of the weakness, weak, weaker spots is to add more depth at guard. And it seems like the Raptors have quite a few options. I mean, like uh, looking at a list and, and, and shouts to the Twitter user that put this together, Coach Roche. Um, but uh, I'm just going off of the list in terms of guys who have confirmed to have worked out in Toronto. It's guys like Grady Dick, Casey Wallace, uh, Jordan Hawkins, who we haven't talked about yet, Leonard Miller, Jet Howard, uh, Maxwell Lewis, Brandon uh, Pojemski, who I, I'm actually interested in him too because I feel like I'm seeing more and more of his tape. He looks really ex- – he looks like he's always playing like super hard all the time, which I'm like – immediately when I see that, I'm like, okay, that's that's intriguing to me. Let me see the rest of his skill set. Um, what, what are you hearing about Brandon? Yeah, he uh, – Pajemski has definitely, I think, helped himself. He's had a good pre-draft process. He's taken it very okay. seriously. Um, I think he's in play, like, in the late teens right now for, for teams, okay. like, in that range of L.A., Miami, Golden State. That's, like, the high end of where he might go. Uh, seems like a really good bet to go in the first, I just think. Um, had a really good year. Statistically profiles really well uh, mm. in terms of analytics modeling. Um, someone who's very competitive and works hard. Uh and, and can score the ball. Um, so he, he's definitely, and he, and he had a good combine. You know, he, he played well okay. first day of the combine. Like, one, definitely someone who's been every year without fail. You know, some guys have good combines and it vaults them up in the draft. And um, he's gone from being, you know, potentially right outside the first round to like probably being in it at this point. So mm. uh, has been been a winner of the, the pre-draft process, in my opinion. No, that's good. That's good to hear. Like, I, I, again, I, just curious, like, how would he compare relative to some of the guys we talked about? You know, um, like, what separates, like, a this this class of guard with, like, Casey Wallace in it and, and uh, you know, Keontae and, and Kobe Bufkin versus a guy like Brandon? Yeah, well, like, for sure. I, I think with Brandon, 
um, some of the concerns would be, I guess, if you were like just having him purely in the conversation with those other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, athletically, there's not as much upside there. Okay, he's closer to physically maxed out uh, in terms of his body type. Uh, not like a supreme athlete uh, who's gonna like have a great athletic advantage all the time. For him, it's really gonna be, uh, you know, relying on his craft. Um, a lot of it has to do with his intangibles are really strong. Sure. Uh, you know, he's, he's a sophomore. He's not that much older than some of these other guys. Like, I think he's only four months older than Pichafino. So it's not like he's like yeah, an yeah. old college player or anything. But I, I think just athletically, and then also like if we're projecting out the ability to play point guard, uh, yeah. it's much easier to say those other guys can do it than, than him. Got you. Got you. Um, okay. I wanted to pivot to sort of what's happening at, at the top of the draft. Too. Obviously, there's no mystery at number one, but number two, there, there continues to be quite a bit. And in fact, I, I remember reading. So uh, May 23rd, you guys wrote that uh, it, it's hard to find a single NBA executive at the draft combine who believe that G League Ignite guard Scoot Henderson will eventually rise to number two spot uh, with obviously Brandon Miller being the, the, the favorite there. And then the most recent uh mock draft i think you guys had the headline why scoot henderson is still in play for number two so what is happening on number two obviously this is just part of the information gathering process at this current time and honestly you could see things flipping but what is happening on number two currently right now like I, I'm, I'm reading that uh you know they're being brought back to charlotte for a second workout is that rare like what what's happening here yeah so i think my read on it is just charlotte is just at this point it's a tough decision they're making sure that they take every possible step okay. uh, in terms of making that choice. Um, my guess would be if I had to bet today, not knowing how this next workout is going to go, I would, I would still guess they land on Miller. That's kind of been mm. my feeling, but I do think there's at least an opportunity here for Scoot to swing the arrow back in his direction. Um, it kind of depends on how these workouts go. Right. I, I mean, sure. um, it's it is not an easy pick to make. I think they're going to keep that pick. It sounds like so they're just. I think I wouldn't read more into it other than that. They're just trying to make sure every aspect of this decision is covered. You know, they have this ownership change coming. Yeah. Uh, you know this this front office has the power to make this decision, uh, but it's still a big decision. So uh, that's how I, I view it. That is interesting because I was as reading as part of the the latest report from Woj that it is still going to be MJ who makes this decision. Um, and even though he's moving the ownership over to this new group, he's going to remain involved in the organization as a minority uh, stakeholder, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, it's still ultimately going to be MJ running the Hornets, at least for this specific draft, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, there. I don't think okay. there's going to be any. Uh, I mean, the ownership transition doesn't happen until the new league year, and then you know we'll sure. see what happens with the front office generally. Like if if they decide to make changes or add people or whatever, that's I don't know exactly what will happen with that yet. But mm. um, but yeah, they they do have the power to make the decision, and I think ownership is kind of letting them make it. That's kind of interesting because if you were ownership, like why would you not want to? Maybe I'm just like you know looking at Matt Ishbia making all these moves like immediately after jumping in as owner. But I would figure as part of the appeal of being an owner, especially with the you know decision made in, in this past week um, that you would want to have a significant say over number two. That's a huge decision. Yeah. Well, I, I would say like, I think it's probably smart. Like it's frankly, I think it's okay. probably in my opinion, it's probably a good sign about who these new owners are not knowing much about them. I, I think if you're jumping in this late in the process when there's a week to go and you're going to act like, Oh, I'm the guy who has the most knowledge about how That's to fair. make this big decision. Like it's probably, probably a sign you're not going to be a very good owner. Right. Sometimes you just gotta let the people do their jobs. Uh, mm. and 
again, like this late in the pre-draft process, like try to, you know, again, if they, maybe if they had completed this sale uh, three or four months ago, yeah, uh, maybe they make changes to the front office. If they decide to do that, maybe they do that after the season. Right. Uh, and then maybe it's different. Uh, but right now it's, you know, everyone's already working. Uh, you're not going to come in and just disrupt, you know, the work that the group has been doing all season. Uh, you're at that point, you're almost asking to to make a, a less informed choice. Right. So that's how I look at it. Interesting. Um, okay. So it's, it's your thinking that Charlotte is not going to move off number two, like all, all this other stuff about like, you know, maybe they entertain some offers from uh, New Orleans Pelicans, which may or may not actually happen, or maybe the Raptors get involved in the situation. Your leaning is that the Hornets just keep number two. That's what it sounded like to me. Again, like okay. maybe this changes between now and the draft. Like, I do think if maybe they get blown away, um, maybe they think like what's what's it, blown away. Like, like, is Zion blown away? I mean, I don't know if that's really that realistic, frankly. Um, Got you. But I, I just think that it would it would probably take that type of thing for them to be like, oh, maybe we should do it. But it, it it sounds to me right now like they're it's Portland that might be more likely to move and Charlotte. Okay. Uh, Charlotte, my guess at these days, but. Okay, so we, we've heard a lot about Portland at number three. Obviously, they jumped up there. Um, my understanding uh, is that, obviously, Dame has put a lot of pressure on Portland to improve. And, um, I, I mean, for, okay, I'll, I'll start here. Do you see a realistic scenario where Dame accepts the fact that they pick whoever they take at number three and they try to roll that over to the next season? Do you- yeah, well... Not knowing exactly, I, I wouldn't say I know exactly like what Portland is thinking here, but I, I know it's obviously been several years of trying to thread this needle, right? Where it's, yep. you know, you're trying to be competitive with Dan. He's been hurt. That's kind of bought them time, you know, with him being kind of on and off available. It's kind of bought them time to add young talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, obviously, I think they have to have, have to be thinking about, you know, if we can't build a title contender, when is the time to move him? Like, when do we when do we decide to do that? Uh, I don't know if, if they feel like that has to be now. I do know that mm-hmm. there are teams that are ready to, to you know, make Dame offers whenever that becomes uh, a, a real, real thing. Uh, and I don't know how soon that is that'll happen, but uh, I do think like Portland could be justified in, Hey, we're just going to pick our guy knowing eventually we may make a move. Uh, it's, it's just a big opportunity where, you know, you, you jump in the lottery, you got to take advantage of it. Right. Unless again, unless there's a player available who they really feel like, uh, does allow them to, you know, be more competitive and add uh, in a way that significantly improves their chances of being uh, a solid playoff team next season. But the West is pretty deep, you know. I mean, I think it's challenging, sure. and uh, it's it's not an easy it's not an easy answer for them. But I, I know Dame is also very involved in their pre-draft process and has been for the last few years. Interesting. Uh, so I think that's another factor. Right. Um, so, I mean. Okay, so how much have you heard about Toronto potentially moving up to number three or even Portland's interest in Toronto's assets? You would assume it's OG, who they've been linked to in the past, and also Pascal Siakam. How uh, how much have you heard that, and is, is that sort of a realistic scenario, or is that something that... Um, I mean, the number three pick is very valuable. It's not easy to trade up to number three, even if you have thing, like a, an all-star to offer. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I've heard... You hear both those names come up around the league mm-hmm. as... Uh, guys who could move or, you know, have been in discussions. And uh, I, I, mean, I can't speak to, you know, where Portland is at on this. Uh, I'm sure there's still like, you know, if you're them, you probably have a sense of like who who might have the best offer, but you're probably just waiting to see if you're going to get it in the next 48 hours, right? Before you really make mm-hmm. that big, a big decision like that, you got to kind of make it like 
it's hard to do that like right on the clock. Like I, I think you'd have to have an idea earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, if, if and I, I think the other factor in this that's interesting for Portland is, is Jeremy Grant also being up for another contract. Like mm. uh, is there duplication with him and Pascal? Uh, you know, how does that play into how they value um, him as part of the return? Uh, but, I, but I do think in terms of guys who fit and like kind of make sense for Portland, I can see that being, uh, either of those guys being someone who they they justify in some capacity going back for, mm-hmm. um, so again I, I can't speak to how realistic this is at this point. I just I don't know enough to know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do think that's a scenario that people have thought about and, and are thinking about. Yeah, no, I mean, l- listen, it, it'll make the Raptors draft a lot more interesting if it did play out that way. Although I, I'm not even sure what the Raptors direction is going to be. Like, I mean, we're just assuming like. Portland may or may not want to do this. I don't even know if Toronto wants to do this. You know what I mean? Like, I think they they feel a lot of pride in the roster. And yeah, obviously this past year was disappointing. They expected to be more than 500, um, especially having been below 500 for most of the year. But, you know, um, to pivot in this direction is, I think, something that um, would make sense on paper. But also at the same time, I think Masai and Bobby, like, feel pretty strongly about sort of what they have built and they want to add on to that. And um yeah, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how this all plays out. Obviously, number one is 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 going to be Victor, and I thought you you wrote a really great piece about uh, Victor in terms of just the unique kind of training um, that that he's received from this uh, French trainer. So, can you tell us a little bit about sort of like what makes this trainer unique in terms of how he's prepared Victor? Who I'm pretty impressed, especially in a day day and age of uh, load management. I mean, he. he and you wrote in your article that he he played all 57 games and it seems like he was available for all the playoff games as well, which is obviously a big concern when you have someone so frequently large, you're always worried about injuries. seems like he's been kept pretty, pretty healthy so far with his uh, unorthodox training. Absolutely. Yeah. Knock on wood. Um, I, I do think like uh, it's cool the way they've approached it where uh, I don't think they're like, Oh, this guy is seven feet tall. We're going to treat him special. It's like, well, you know, how do we, just generally the human body, like what does it take to stay healthy? Uh, you know, in basketball, what are the things that you have to work on? And for him, it's a lot of it's, you know, foot strength and flexibility and being able to really have acute control of his body. Mm. Um, Cause it, you know, when you are that big, you do have long limbs, like, you know, you can bend in different ways and not know you can do that. And then all of a sudden you have one wrong step and it, you know, you don't have full control and your body can, you know, yeah, that's how you get hurt. So like, I think that's a factor. I think they've done a good job. Clearly, um, they don't want him to pack on too much weight too fast, which I think is also pretty strong. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a good, it's a good thought. Like we've seen guys like that put pack on weight who are that tall, and you get stress injuries. It just happens. Uh, and yeah. again, this isn't me saying that he's going to be healthy his whole career. I think it's something he'll have to deal with. Like it's a lot of for anyone that tall particularly playing on the perimeter, like it's not so much, you know, on the outside, you're going to avoid some of like the contact injuries, but there's also non-contact injuries. And there's, uh, again, there's stress on your lower body and feet just from, from planting and being explosive. Uh, and again, I'm not like a physio, so I, I, I can't speak to all the ins and outs of this, but I do think that the approach they've had has been very calculated. Um, they seem to have a plan that has worked to this point. And I, I trust that the Spurs kind of know what they have here and are going to try to be, uh, careful with him as well yeah uh, particularly while his body is still very much changing and maturing at 18 or 19 years old yeah well i mean the way you described it in the piece it was 
you know, you said there's a lot of time warming up barefoot. Um, seems like a lot of the exercises are barefoot. There's a lot of crawling around. There's like juggling tennis balls. So it's like, is, is the Wemby warm up going to be the new Steph Curry warm up in terms of the NBA fans need to come early to the arena to see it happen? I don't know. I've started walking around my house and I'm just on my toes though. I'm strengthening my feet. Yeah, I, I suppose uh, <laughs> I suppose that's not as much of a story when a when a, when a six foot guy or however tall you are. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It? Yeah, good guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jeremy, I I, I appreciate it. Um. If you can, I'm just gonna ask you one more question, just because I, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, they always look at sort of people in the media and sort of having this interest in basketball and they want to sort of know how they got to this spot. So I want to ask you real quickly, like how does somebody get to do what you do? Like what is that process and what's that advice you would give to people? Yeah. Uh, I think particularly with basketball, like I, you got to just show up to stuff, like no matter okay. where you are or uh, what you want to do. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing is showing up. Uh, there's all, you can always watch on TV, but everyone has that, right? Like mm -hmm. in terms of gaining knowledge, um, you have to think about what's available to you wherever you are in the world. Right. Like right. You know, become the premier uh, source for information on like the five square miles from where you live. Right. Like whatever, you know, whatever you can get yeah, to, yeah. I think is important to get to, whether that's, whether that's NBA or high school or college, because the NBA always needs information. Right. And they're going to come calling at some point, trying to figure out uh, some of that information and you know, learning to scout is something you have to show up to do. So uh, I, I think a big part of it is just showing up and being relentless and trying to find ways to get the access to, to go places in person, because, uh, again, it's, it's, and this is not me saying it's a bad thing, but it's, you know, we, we can all write, uh, a blog or, you know, have opinions on the internet, but like, if you want to really work in basketball or be like in, in deep as an insider or reporting, it's like, there's a, an element to that that's human that you have to, it takes a lot of time to, uh, to build. So I, I, I think just showing up and, uh, you know, enjoying what you do and enjoying connecting with other people, I think is a huge part of it. Um, yeah. more so than just, again, I think we can all, we can all watch five Wembenyano games and say what he's good at. Right. Like, <laughs> sure. But, but it's, there's an element to it also where you're, you're understanding the, the, the people involved and like what really goes on and on the, the human level. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing too, because I, I don't know if you've really met that many people who have this like incredible eye in terms of you watch them and there's something special that you're looking for. Or maybe you're one of those people, right? You, you go into these gyms, you see them play, and there's something that you have a process in terms of what you look out for that makes it more unique than other people. Um, but from everybody that I talk to in the NBA, it feels like the, the, the in-person, what you're saying, you're showing up, being in person, getting to know people, getting to sort of physically be there, gather intel, like that is so much more important than just like, that sort of like special eye quality, you know, that eye test in right. that way. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we could all, we could all email Masai, you know, a list of our 10 favorite prospects. Right. But I'm, mean, you know, it's, well, I don't know what that does for them an NBA team. It's nice to have an opinion, you know, but like uh -huh. we hit what separates us as people in terms of, you know, how we process this and how we think about it. And I, I think the best way to avoid the group thing too, is go have your own opinions. And some of that mm. comes from being in person. So fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, Jeremy, I, I understand this is a really busy time um, in the year for you. Um, so I, I really appreciate you. Obviously, everyone go follow your work. Um, what's the best way for people to follow your work? Is it just, is it just Twitter? Yeah, I'm just on Twitter. It's just uh, it's just Jeremy Wu on Twitter. Uh, I don't tweet too much. Uh, like I said, I, I try to stay out of the online group thing. I try to stay out of it as much as I can. Uh, Twitter, Twitter's gotten worse in the, in the time I've been on it over the last decade. But uh, uh, yeah, that's where I tweet all my articles and sometimes stupid, stupid things, but mostly just articles now. So... 
right. All right, Jamie. I appreciate you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, yeah, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll have lots more draft content coming up this week. Bye.